0: Hello everybody and welcome to Lecture 8 in our Introduction to Psychology uh, short lecture series and we're still working on our What is Psychology? Introduction to Psychology series uh, for this semester and uh, we're kind of shifting gears now so we've introduced What is Psychology? We looked a little bit into the field and then we looked at the philosophical roots, some of them. We looked at four kind of philosophical roots or things that psychology has inherited, some of the questions we have inherited. Now what I, we, we, I want to focus on are some of the camps or theories of thoughts that have developed within psychology. Now, psychology is a very young science, and so uh, I'm going to tell you, If you go to a psychologist or even a counselor or a therapist or a social worker who says they know everything about human behavior and that they're an expert in the field, I want you to know that they're lying to you and you should go and leave right away. Psychology is a very young field and there's, in any young field of science, there are lots of theories and there's lots of ideas about what it is that is human nature and human behavior. Um, And the process of science is over time, which usually takes hundreds of years, is that those ideas become condensed over the scientific method. Bad ideas are thrown out. Uh, Some of those ideas are taken that are good and are integrated in together. New ideas and new through technology are integrated in until things are refined. Well, right now in psychology we have a bunch of different camps of thought from behaviorism to psychoanalysis to motivational theorists to cognitive theorists to social psychologists who take on basically pieces of the human experience each of them explain a component of the human experience but they don't explain the entire human experience. So some end where others pick up. And so our job in the next few series is to explore some of these different theoretical camps and approaches to studying human behavior and psychological processes, understanding what their limitations were and really uh, determining Uh, where we are in the state of our knowledge. Uh, But I do just want to state, anybody who says that they know everything about human behavior, run the other direction, uh, because any good expert in psychology should be able to say, well, I know the limitations of knowledge, but this is what we know right now. That's someone who knows what they're talking about. We're going to start with, though, one of our very first completely formalized uh, theories within the field of psychology. Now, he wasn't the first to develop a theory, um, and he wasn't the first to do any type of research or come up with things that are called psychological evidence. Uh, We leave that to the psychophysicist, which we'll get to when we get to sensations and perceptions and people who measured reaction time and stuff like that. And he wasn't the first to use methods that he used, such as introspection and whatnot. That was Wundt uh, in, in his original laboratory. So he wasn't the first to use psychological methods to try and investigate psychological phenomenon. But he was the first, one of the first, to actually come up with a formalized theory of what human experience is about. And he's probably one of the most well-known figures in psychology. And when you were thinking about Psych 101, you're like, oh, I'm going to hear about this guy. His name is Sigmund Freud. Freud. Um, and uh, if you have this picture of a pale white guy with a cigar, and that's what your picture of a psychologist is, that's where our stereotypes come from, Um, and we're going to see a lot of stereotypes. In fact, um, uh, if you're thinking about becoming a counselor or a therapist, um uh, in the Western model, right? And in, in in the idea of Western counseling where you have a client, come to your office and you sit down in this formalized setting and you use the counseling Socratic method, he is actually the first to come up with in the, the Western formalized version of this, of the thing called the talking cure. Um, he's the first Western counselor, as you would say. Um, now, of course, we when, we when we get to indigenous psychology, we'll find out that um, this has been going on in many cultures for a very long time, uh, but he's credited with giving that formal methodology where a person gives actually pays someone financial credence and f- sees them as an expert in the science of mental life. Um, but he is the basis of modern counseling as a business, um, as you would say um Sigmund Freud was actually a he's actually a medical doctor and if uh, we technically say he's actually a psychiatrist rather than a psychologist who has a PhD but uh, we do uh, call him a psychologist because he aligns more with with, with uh, psychological theory and he was actually studying neurology and uh, his dissertations were actually on the uh, Neurologics of uh, frogs and and the like. And um, he very much was influenced by by, uh, evolutionary theory and Darwinism. And uh, he very much wanted his theory to be a scientific one. A theory of mental life. To be grounded in evolution theory. And so what he he developed is what's called a drive theory because in order for us to have an evolutionary theory there must be basic human concepts that we all inherit that goes across the board and we all inherit them and that's what drives all of human behavior human consciousness all everything that we are has to come from some primitive core evolutionary drive And so, this is where his theory comes from. It's a combination of evolutionary. He very much wanted it to be a biologically based theory. And so, uh, what are the two basic human drives that Freud came up with? Well, he believed that there are two basic drives that anything is driven towards. One is procreation, right, life, um, the um, life-giving drive, okay, so we have a drive towards life, but then we have what's called the Thantos, right, we have the drive towards death, one, you know, if we're, if if there's one guaranteed win you could go to Vegas with, there are three ultimate truths in the world, right, Um, uh, we're gonna die, that's one thing that's guaranteed going to happen to all of us. Um, things are going to change. We're going to change throughout our life. I promise you all, you're not going to be the same person you are today, five years from now. I bet you're not the same person you were five years ago. There's been some type of change. And the lastly, uh, no one escapes taxes. So those are the three ultimate uh, truths in life that you can take to the bank and win to Vegas and win every time on a bet. So, but so we have a drive towards death, um, and Freud is going to call this our aggression drive or an aggressive drive. Okay, um, and he's going to narrow it down to that. He's going to say our death drive, and so we have this drive towards aggression. Okay. Um, our next drive is of course the procreation drive, right, and he's going to narrow it down to sex. And so, our two basic drives in life is towards sex and aggression, okay? Now if those were our only two drives, and he's going to house those drives into what he calls the id, I-D id, and it's basically, if it translates, it means it, it is the it, Okay. And he's going to house that in that, in his his structural model. And now I want you to imagine if we were in actually a physical environment, if we were in a physical classroom, and, and the id was all that we had, uh, and everybody came into this physical classroom, um, and I'll pick on the guys, okay? All the guys would be trying to have sex with all the girls while trying to beat up all the other guys. Okay, if you think about that in this Freudian evolutionary term, um, we wouldn't have survived very long as a species um, if that was the way we evolved, right? Uh, That we just wouldn't have existed very long. So what Freud believed is that uh, human, the id, developed what he called the ego, okay? And for, for Freud, the id lived in the unconscious, meaning that we don't have access to the id. Um, and so we uh, don't have access to our sexual and aggressive drive because, frankly, according to Freud, it would kind of freak us out if we actually knew how impulsive we were for sex and aggression okay so what the id did is it developed the ego and the ego is this thing that has uh, it has access to consciousness and it looks at the world and if we take our classroom uh, situation and we were all in a physical environment the ego would look at the classroom and it would say okay all right." Um, this isn't the place to be trying to have sex with everybody, but if I look studious and I look smart right now, okay, uh, it will increase my chance with having sex with one of the women in the room later on, okay? Now, think about that. It's not that you're in school to become better, to become more educated according to Freud. No, you're in school because it's going to increase the probability of having a sexual relationship later on with someone in that area. So uh, that's, that's kind of Freud's notion of, of the, 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 the negotiation going on between the ego and the id. Okay? Now, that's a very uh, superficial interpretation of the relation between the ego and the id. But um, that is what it is. So, but as society grew uh, and as society became more complex, and we started to develop what's called the social contract, right? Society needed to be able to be regulated. Um, and we have these agreements, you know, that you know you won't just go around touching everybody inappropriately, or uh, people have certain levels within society. We call these the social contract of conduct. Um, we will obey street laws, all those kinds of things. The ego and id developed what's called the super ego, which is uh, what would what would be called the perfection uh, aspect of the the unconscious. It, its drive is towards perfection. Now, understand perfection doesn't mean happiness. Perfection means conduct. Conduct to its most appropriate level. Okay, And so for for Freud, perfection is that everything is in its place. That you hold yourself to the most proper conduct. So someone who is who is overly controlled by their super ego is a person who is uh, always properly dressed and has everything in perfect order Uh, and they make sure everybody else when they walk in the room they make sure everyone else is sitting where they're supposed to be sitting and everybody else is doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's someone who has their super ego out of control but that's that's another case in point and another conversation. The point being is that what Freud is arguing is a biological model where there's this turmoil within the unconscious and that uh, you have this mechanism of an ego that is trying to compromise between desires and wants and what one should do appropriately to try and achieve those desires. Um, and so uh, that, that is the basis of his personality model, as we said. Now, what develops a healthy ego and a healthy compromise and a healthy superego, Freud based this on early childhood development. And we'll look at his uh, what's called psychosexual model of development when we get to the human development model uh, uh, later in the course but what I would say right at this moment is if you look at our culture and we focus so much on early childhood and child being raised, this really has to do credit with Sigmund Freud. If we look at the ending of child labor and actually seeing childhood as a unique uh, period in children's life. This really started with the psychodynamic movement with Sigmund Freud, because before the developmental uh, approach, um, children were seen when they were born as just miniature adults, really, and that all they need to do is build their strength and their their, their stanima, and and they basically were functional. Uh, Childhood was not a unique period of development and that's why uh, well into the Industrial Age, well into the 1900s, we had children as young as four and five years old, some cases as young as three, working in factories. Even before the Industrial uh, Revolution we have children as young as four or five working in fields and farms and the like. And so, um, childhood, and this is important to understand, seen as a unique period of development, is actually something very recent in human uh, uh, human uh, knowledge or human development or human understanding. Um, and so, that's something we will we'll explore later when we get to human development. Uh, But it is Sigmund Freud who kind of, in in their theories, who started to state childhood is the special period of development. And that's something important to note. Um, And so we'll look at those as we move along uh, with these these, uh, different theories. Now, I want to return to this idea of unconscious because here's the problems with Sigmund Freud's theories is that if you think about his theory from a scientific perspective, the problem with his theory is it's not testable. Because you can't question any part of his theory because it has a circular argument to it. So anybody who is strong in Freud's theory knows they're right because their argument can always be a circular argument. And so that's, from a scientific perspective, that's a problem with uh, uh, Freudian theory. And so we need to understand that from the beginning. But is there a credence to the idea of desire driving behavior? Is there a credence to unconsciousness driving behavior? And the answer is, is that there is evidence to suggest that there is. Um, And so, you know, when we look, for example, at uh, neurological studies, we find that the the areas of the brain that deal with things like desire, emotion, fire, before the areas that arise to conscious decision-making, fire. Meaning that your body is preparing to make decisions before you're consciously aware of making those decisions. And so there is some notions that there is unconscious processes that are bearing upon the decisions that you're going to make. And so do we fully make decisions or are they driven by unconsciousness? And the answer is at least based on the neurological evidence that we actually base decisions on processes that have already started to begin before we even become consciously aware of them. So there is some uh, evidence to suggest that our behaviors are at least partially driven by processes that are... Unconscious to us, uh, before we become conscious of decisions we make, and uh, and so there is some some credence to the idea of the unconscious mind. But uh, does the unconscious mind drive all of our behaviors, as suggested by Sigmund Freud? I would say no. Um, we do have some suppressive ability with our conscious mind to suppress those processes that have already started. Uh, For example, uh, I bet everybody in this room has had the urge and the desire and the preparation to want to slap someone across the face, but you didn't. That preparation... Was your unconscious mind preparing you to slap that person? It was your conscious mind who suppressed those feelings, suppressed that emotion. Now, again, when we get to Halloween, we'll talk about a subset of individuals who do not have that suppressive ability. And in fact, we can do brain scans of those individuals and find that those neural tracks don't even work. So we will have to look at that even closer. So this is our first theory, and there's some problems with it. It does set us up uh, to look at childhood as a unique period of development. Um, It sets us up to say that there are processes that are beyond our conscious awareness that do drive our behavior. Um, and that we do have desires and drives that do drive our behaviors as well. But that's not the entire story as th- this theory suggests. We do have all kinds of other processes that also determine our behavior, including our social world, our rational world, and our motivations, which is where we'll be heading next.